birthday? You want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. I'm disgusted and repulsed and and I can't look away. I need these things. I need these things. No way, no way, Jose. <laughs> this just in, go to hell! This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Stop it! 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 Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Watch Skip Plus. We are a movie podcast with a lifestyle twist. That twist being that before we review a new theatrical or streaming movie, each of our each of us, uh, Justin, the cinemasochist, or me, Cupcake, Jose, um, we plus something. And that plus is basically a bonus review, but it can be about anything. A movie, a book, a television series, any news item, a trailer, what have you? That's the plus, and we are the Watch Skip Plus. So, I like Justin, that. How are you doing? I'm, I'm really good. I like that. We are the Watch Skip Plus. I love that. I'm doing. We are. I was doing good. We now are I'm doing swell. The watch. <laughs> now, which ones watch and which ones skip? Though, or are we both watch skip? Are we like conjoined? I'm skip. You're skip. I okay. Have, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, so. Uh, before we get to our uh, pluses, I was just going to say, uh, listeners, we had been talking about that fun anchor podcast feature where you can leave uh, voicemails or recorded messages. And lo and behold, we actually got one Yay. from our good friend, uh, Samurai, from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, one of our uh pod tree brothers um did you hear that term pod tree i just now heard it and i love it so i can't remember if it was episode 600 or the one before that um it might have actually been 600 um uh so gentleman's guide to midnight yes i do now remember it um is up to 600 podcast episodes which is that is a enormous milestone it's amazing those guys have been kicking around for 600 episodes yeah. however long however many years that is 600 more than us we're only on our seventh <laughs> right 590 anyway um but they had been talking about how you know we were like an we a lot of us are like an extended family right so there's i referred to them as brother podcast in arms not a bomb friends with cinephys the vhs files podcast um and of course, it all started with the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, where we all sort of met on the Facebook page and then met in real life. And now we are all a big family. Uh, Will had mentioned that it was more like uh, like he referred to a coaching tree uh, where, you know, there's a varsity coach and then there's assistant coaches and those assistant coaches become big coaches. And then they sort of hand down the wisdom and the love and the, all of that. And then he called it the podcasting tree. Oh, so, yeah. you know, 
Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema is at the top of the podcasting tree. Maybe it's The Roots. I don't know. Uh, I think Where so. am I going with this analogy? I have uh, no idea. All I know is uh, I think I'm the water boy. <laughs> Stop. Stop. I'm uh, I'm probably the well, well never mind. We're not gonna we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. Self-deprecation is an art form that I do not succeed at. So uh okay. Um, but we did get a recording from um, Sammy over at the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, and I'm just going to fire it up right now, and let's just listen. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing? This is Sammy. I just wanted to send in a voicemail saying, hello, I'm driving home. I'm listening to the latest episode about Clerks 3. I haven't even gotten to the review yet. And I realized I have never sent a voicemail to you guys. I used to voicemail all kinds of podcasts, but then you get into a, a weird world where you're podcasting and you don't voicemail nearly as much as you used to. And it is what it is, but uh, I wanted to make sure that I got a voicemail into you guys. I don't know how this sounds. First time I'm using this app. Um, I love you both. I love the show. Please keep doing what you're doing. Um... I don't watch a lot of new films, so I love it when people review new films. Take care, guys. You guys are the best. You know that. Kata for now. Oh, thank you, Sammy. We love you, too. Um, that means so much, especially uh, coming from you and, and coming from uh, The Gentleman's Guide and all that you guys have achieved. and and this pod tree community that you created. <laughs> yeah, I know I've mentioned it briefly in our introductions episode, but you know, Gentleman's Guide is definitely a big inspiration to me. I'm still getting blushing now just hearing that, even though it's it's almost starstruck, despite the fact that I know Sammy and have met him multiple times in person and talked to him, but you still get that like, ooh, you know. Uh, you just you've meant a lot to me and still do. And and also you know, never apologize to anybody about if you forget to send in feedback because I'm right there with you. I used to always, especially to Silver and Gold, I would send in my terrible impersonations uh, as feedback. <laughs> but, you know, I think life can kind of get in the way and I can only speak for myself, but I know... I don't know if Jose does this or anybody else, but a lot of times when I start doing feedback, it'll just be, I'll send a message to the person while I'm listening to it, as opposed to sending an actual email or a voicemail back, just because that's when I get excited. And then, and it's also noticeable when I'm listening to it, whether it's, you know, when I'm not also working or if I'm able to get to my phone or if I listen to something while I'm working and then later on, I'm like, oh, I should feedback, but then I forget because I lost track of time. Yep, it happens. It happens. But uh, thank you so much, Sammy, for the message. That's that's absolutely amazing. We hope you keep listening. Um, I, I think you know reviewing new movies is it, it is kind of a challenge, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, you know it's 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 a uh, brand new. We're not able to just jump back in. Although with our Regal app, Regal app pass, we certainly can yeah. just jump back in and watch it again if we felt like it. But um, but you yeah, can't no. control it. Like if I were to revisit, even when I revisit a prey, if you wanted to, you know, pause the movie to be like, Ooh, I'll make sure I have this detail. Correct. I can't yell to the projectionist. Hey, yo, pause the movie. <laughs> I mean, I could, but right. it's not going to work. If only life was like the Adam Sandler movie click, yeah, where we well, could use a remote control. And just and so it doesn't get as sad as that film did. That's, that's one yeah. that does make me get very teary eyed. I yeah, can, that was kind of a downer. Yeah, yeah? I, I really liked that movie, especially because of the downer elements. But 
Yeah. You know, what's kind of like Clerks 3 in that regard. You get, you know, your, your expected <laughs> humor, but then it kind of beats you out of nowhere with some really dark material. Heavy, heavy material. Okay. So, um, oh, and by the way, anyone who, any of our listeners who wants to, or friends, anybody wants to leave a message on anchor F, anchor.fm backslash watch hyphen skip, there is a feature where you can send us a message and record, uh, you know, a, a video recording just like Sammy did. Um, or you can email us at watch skip plus all the words out. No, no uh, periods or anything. Watch skip plus at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, although mainly Instagram. When yeah. I say mainly Instagram, it's mainly me commenting. <laughs> I've started actually adding my name at the end and I'm sure people are like reading it. Like that movie sucked parentheses jose but it's just to let them know that i'm the one commenting and not justin and, and on so. facebook it's usually me i think i'm gonna start taking that uh approach to also signing my name i did throw up a post on instagram i'll put my name in there though you uh, did the week, justin so. here justin here justin yes here. that's my my, <laughs> my one of my many nicknames now is justin here exactly and if you are uh, contacting us whether it be through those social media apps or through instant messenger uh, don't feel like you, you know, have to send in a voicemail or even like an email if that's your preferred way of doing it. I mean, if you want us to also read that on the air, go ahead. But if not, I know that always brightens my day whenever somebody, you know, says, hey, man, I'm listening to the episode or this and that, you know, so. Yeah. Okay. So we've got some pluses. Justin, you ready? Well, it's very fitting that you were talking about the pod tree and then Sammy called in because one of the great things about this podcasting community that has grown from the roots of the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema is you get to meet people in person. Like I mentioned, I've met Sammy and well in person. I've met and hung out with Jose quite a few times, very fitting for today's movie. And I'll explain later. So this week, my plus is finally getting to meet a good friend of the, the podcasting community and show William. Uh, I'll keep his last name, obviously off air. I won't give where he's at, but he's not too, too far from me. And it turns out the past couple of years, we've gone to events, whether it's in my neck of the woods, closer to him, or just throughout Pennsylvania, and we didn't find out until after the fact we were at the same event. And there was an event in my neck of the woods at Franklin Marshall College in Lancaster, which is almost a stone's throw away from me. And he had messaged me that morning. He said, hey, John Waters is going to be there. I'm going to go. Do you want to go? And I had forgot that they announced that since Franklin Marshall was hosting a you know, film festival near the end of September that John Waters was actually going to come and give a speech because, or actually do his show because his brother, I didn't know this is actually an F and M alumni and he's not far if he's in his Baltimore area. So I was obviously excited to see John Waters live only ever saw him once as a surprise appearance at a film festival. So getting to see him do his one man show was great, but I was really excited to formally meet William in person and acknowledge that I knew who he was as opposed to, I think the one <laughs> event I was like, wait a minute, I think I did remember you and said something, but we just didn't know who we were at the time. And that was just fun. It was, we got to, we had dinner beforehand uh, at this great play, uh, res vegan restaurant called Root, which it wasn't until I was getting there. I was like, wait a minute, I went on a date here a couple of years ago. This is a really yeah. nice place. Uh, you know, we chatted about life, movies, how much we both liked Clerks 3. Suck it, Jose. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> but, you know, just uh, all that in general. And then just listen to John Waters. And I'm not going to go into his show specifically because with those one man shows retelling any bits is going to ruin it. Definitely see him live. That man has 
a charisma like nobody else. And I just, even if I don't always love his movies, um, like a dirty shame, I'm not a fan of though. I did just watch at night after Cecil B. Demented and I quite liked it, but I, I always love, love his perspective and just his humor and all of that. And I will say one bit was, so he does a Q and a after, and the way we did it at this theater was you didn't like walk up to a microphone. You just raised your hand and you just shouted because it wasn't too big. Um, but even though the guy wasn't too far away, the first person who did the icebreaker to ask a question, I think we were all like, did we hear that correctly? And he and the people around him confirmed his question to John Waters was, what are your thoughts on batteries? And even what? Wa- yeah, batteries as in. And even Waters is like, I've gotten weird questions. That's the weirdest one. Like what? <laughs> like AAA is, yeah, I like those. You know, they work. Like so. Or did he mean assault and battery? See, I thought that too, because Waters <laughs> will go into like social commentary and stuff. But like, that's a weird way of phrasing it. And the fact that the guy didn't really correct it and kind of just went with it, he might've just thought it was funny. I really wonder if it's just because you always have that awkwardness when it's like, who goes first? Like you're in a class. So I wonder if that was just his funny way of breaking the ice, which worked because that ended up being the (laughs) highlight. Watching John Waters being perplexed by a question, because this is a man that will talk about the filthiest stuff, uh, you know, and it doesn't phase him. And it's just so I will say that I've uh, now I don't know if putting that out in the ether is just meaning people are going to ask him really obtuse questions now. But but an absolute delight. And again, meeting William, it's this pod tree we've got going, even people that maybe don't, you know, get onto the podcast themselves. Once you get into these communities and start talking to us, your family. And it was yeah. just the people next to us probably thought we knew each other for years, like in person, not just online, because you just hit off right away and you just don't shut up then. Yeah, I I love William. I uh uh although deleting Facebook was the best thing in my life, uh I I do see William around on social media wise on Instagram. Um I've never met him in person, but I was so happy that the two of you were able to at least experience John Waters together. Um question. Mm-hmm. Is he so the one man show that he's doing are there maybe I know you I know you said you didn't want to give away some of the bits, but is there like a a theme? Is he promoting a new book? Yeah, so he always has themes, and I won't go on this one just because he was testing out some new stuff. But like his themes might be like, I think the the show he's got running right now is like false negatives. So a lot of the themes are related to like life in COVID and that. He does, you know, tie everything usually into his movies, but it's basically just becomes almost like a a more concise, but like a vomitorium of his thoughts on, you know, <laughs> topics of the day, but doing it in a very amusing way, almost somewhat like stand up, but not quite, but his magic thing for me. And a, a lot of stand ups are kind of like this, but when you do one man shows, you really almost had to be personal with the audience without like just talking to them. And he just does that so naturally. Like you sometimes feel like you're sitting there having a conversation with the guy when really you're not, you're just one of like, you know, hundreds in a crowd. So, but yeah, so it's basically, I would say about, I would say the show itself was probably about an hour and then he did maybe a half hour or so of Q and a, or maybe, maybe an hour split both ways. Uh, it mm. moves very quick uh, and he's just, he's such a blast. And I would, like you said, love, I would also recommend Cecil be demented because it, it actually was quite fun. And you get to hear Michael Shannon demand to know about Mel Gibson's cock and balls, which I was not expecting, yes. which is now probably my new film highlight. 
and uh, Stephen Dorff is in that as well yep. as Alicia Vitt and Melanie Griffith. Yeah, uh, young yeah. Adrian Grenier. Um, yep. I keep forgetting the guy's name. I think it's like uh, I'm going to butcher Jack. Not nosediver, but something like that. Uh, oh, was, noseworthy. Noseworthy. That's it. Nosediver. <laughs> I love Jack Noseworthy. I, and right when I saw him, I'm like, where do we? And the first thing I remember was he was in Idle Hands, which I love and would have been around that time. But he was, I think he's still working, but there was that time, late 90s, early 2000s, when C- Cecil B. Demented came out, where he was just getting a lot of good character work. Uh, yes. I still think yes. Idle Hands being probably one of the best. I really love Idle Hands. I think that's just a really fun love letter to a degree to evil dead and old monster movies and just being a dumb teen stoner comedy as well. And, Oh yeah. You know, honestly, just, just as an aside, um, uh, thank you so much for bringing up Jack Noseworthy because he is one of those character actors that like, he's great. I think he's in a, a lot of the movies that he's in. He is fantastic. He is also gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I know him for playing, Pam Anderson's brother in one of my favorite movies, Barbed Wire. Yes, I, I genuinely think Barbed Wire is a ton of fun. Not like oh my in a God. so bad it's good. Oh I just God. think it knows what it's doing. It's a very oh, cheeky. Yes. Re- oh, I, just, I think it's fun. I have I've probably seen Barbed Wire more times than any human being should see it, and is it's <laughs> truly one of. And I, I know we're probably going to lose listeners at this point because they're going to watch Barbed Wire and they're going to be like, okay, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but you can all you can all come fight me because I will stand <laughs> alongside Jose on that. Barbed Wire is a fun film. He was also in Event Horizon. That's the um, other one that I would have known. Yeah. And oh my God. So I just Googled him and apparently his spouse is a man named Sergio Trujillo. So he is, uh, he's part of my team. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway. um, Okay. So as somebody who grew up in Baltimore with John Waters, turning back to John Waters, uh, people are going to be surprised at this, but I had the hardest time believing that he was a homosexual. I don't know why. Really? I don't know why. I just thought that he was an eccentric, asexual person, but I never thought he was gay. I, You know what? I can see the eccentric, asexual. Yes. Yes. Um, but when I told friends, I was like, wait, John Waters gay? They were like, are you an idiot? Are you... <laughs> Have you been living in a cave? Are you blind? You are Homer Simpson in the episode that John Waters guested on when he's the, the gay eccentric shop owner that Homer does not realize is gay. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, all right. So before we segue to my plus, what's your favorite John Waters movie? And I'm putting you on the spot again. Uh, I know it's the stereotypical answer, but I would probably have to go with Pink Flamingos. It was the first one of his I've seen, and it's it's the most defining of his, and it now holds a special spot, because when I saw it at X-Fest a couple of years ago, where they show uh, exploitation films, but everything's a mystery, the final film that night was a 16mm showing of Pink Flamingos, and that's the first wow. time I saw John Waters live, because it opens with him introducing the mil- film on 16mm, and then they like shut the curtains for a second, and then he just walked out, because again, film's oh. not too far from Baltimore. Uh, but yeah, it'd probably be Pink Flamingos. Uh, I I did quite like Cecil B. Demented. I also really like Polyester. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a few of his I still need to see. I haven't seen his Hairspray yet. I've somehow seen the remake, but not his Hairspray. So. Oh, his Hairspray is great. 
So, oh, and Serial Mom. I can't not include Serial Mom, which is wonderful. So that is my favorite. It it has to be Serial Mom, just because there's uh, there's just so many lines, and mm. Kathleen Turner is just amazing in it. The two the two things I'm actually thinking of as you're scooping Shadow away from the microphone. <laughs> he wants to talk about John Waters too. He's a uh... yes. Um, the two moments I'm ta- uh, thinking about in Serial Mom are where um, the kids are mortified that they're hearing her. And uh, Sam Watterson having sex, and she just <laughs> screams out, "Oh, get it, <laughs> get it!" <laughs> uh, you know, I was actually and- <laughs> thinking of that film too during Cecil B. Demented because I don't know why it hit me, but I'm like, Melanie Griffith and like Kathleen Turner could easily play siblings. I felt like because I kept like oh, was thinking yeah. back to her, and I'm like, have they not done that in a movie? Because if not, that's a missed opportunity. Oh yeah, and the uh, the other moment I love from from Sierra Mom is they're they're watching the one classmate being interviewed on the news, and like the father's like, um, "Do you know this girl?" And then the brother is like, "Ah, oh, she's a stoner or whatever." And then the daughter says something else, and then Kathleen Turner looks at her and makes a face and goes, "Her hair." <laughs> it's, uh, it's fantastic by the way the commentary for that with john is i is still need to listen to mesmerizing it's legendary and okay. i and i will say as somebody who's now visited baltimore on many occasions because of you know visiting the likes of you and randy and kind of considering it a second home when i was watching cecil being demented which like a lot of waters film is filmed and set in uh, Baltimore when like it opens at the Senator Theater and I'm just like yeah I've been there like so now yeah. I'm like having this fun thing of going back and be like oh I know that area I know that area I've been there yeah I, I used to I used to work at the Senator and worked all of the the big premieres of his movies it was always a fun time and there was never there was never any like ostentation over it you know what I mean mm-hmm. if that's the proper word like it never was I'm John Waters look at how big I am or whatever like he stopped and talked to people and everything was just a wonderful family type you know as family as John Waters yeah. can get um in a terms wonderfully of dysfunctional Baltimore. family but yeah exactly. then the way he talks about Baltimore like oh obviously like everyone I think in Baltimore does cracks jokes about the crime rates and all that but you can tell he truly loves because I, I can't remember, but I think he also says he lives in Provincetown, but I feel like that's closer because he talks about San Francisco a lot too. And I feel like he mm. might have a home in San Francisco as well as still living in Baltimore just because of, yeah. Cause he, he might not make films much anymore. Like well, dirty shame was the last film he made, but he has a new novel coming out, which I forget the title of. I still have, I haven't read it. His book on hitchhiking. He does a lot of like of these one man shows and does shows at like rock concerts and stuff. So he's still a very busy man. He just hasn't really, but yeah, he, I mean, you can tell whenever you talk to him, books was always his first love anyway. So, Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> okay, so my plus this week is I read about this film in the trades last year. It had run the festival circuit and had gotten a lot of good buzz, a lot of good reviews. Um, I am plusing the Estonian film called Firebird. Uh, it is now streaming on Prime Video, uh, but the logline goes, Firebird follows a handsome, soulful young soldier who embarks on a clandestine sexual affair with a charismatic fighter pilot on a Soviet Air Force base at the height of the 1970s communist rule. Uh, so Estonia, for those of you who don't know, was part of the, I believe was part of the USSR and then sort of became its... It, its own country entity. Um, so I thought the movie was going to be in Russian, but it actually wasn't. Um, there are There is some Russian, but it's mainly in English. Um, 
but it is the true the true story based on the true story of Sergei Fedezov who was a Russian soldier who was moved to Estonia um, during its Russian occupation to uh, train as an Air Force pilot, um, but was also, you know, uh, a sort of a career uh, militarist as well. And a new um, lieutenant uh, commander sort of comes in, and there's a little sort of intrigue as to whether he likes, you know, his best friend who's a female um, also, um, an officer in the army is the Russian army as well. Um, but then it turns out that he is actually has designs on young Sergey, and there is a romance that gets involved. Uh, but then, obviously, it's 1970s. It's communist rule. There's actually a uh, military code that says that. Uh, sexual relations especially homosexuality is outlawed and can carry five years in jail and so there is actual drama about them trying to keep it undercover he eventually you know the the uh, major he falls in love with eventually ends up marrying that female best friend and then of course it just plays out their romance uh throughout the rest of the movie it's directed by peter rabane uh rabane wrote co-wrote the screenplay with the lead actor, Tom Pryor. Uh, Tom Pryor uh, is a British actor, probably most known as one of the candidates in uh, Kingsman, okay. um, the and first film. I'm assuming no relation to Ted or David Pryor. No, uh -huh. I don't, I don't, I don't believe so, unfortunately. <laughs> um and uh, I'm sure I'm missing something. Oh, he played the young Robert Hawking in The Theory of Everything. Um, so I think that those are probably the uh, Kingsman, The Secret Service is the official title of what he was in. Um, but he co-wrote with the screenplay and the, the screenplay is wonderful. Um, again, it's based on Mr. Fedezov's story. Mr. Fedezov unfortunately passed away, mm -hmm. but the director and, um, prior were able to spend a lot of time with him and develop the screenplay. So it is, it is, uh, true to his, uh, uh, perspective and his interpretation of it. The, uh, uh, Roman Matveyev, that's the uh, major that he falls in love with, is played by Oleg Zagorodini. And then the woman that we talked about, uh, Diana Pozarskaya. Uh, <laughs> hopefully I'm getting all of these down. Better than um, I would. There are a couple other actors like Nicholas Woodison uh, that you would probably know domestically, but the rest are Estonian or are Russian actors. Um, Woodison, he's he's been in everything. Uh, John Carter, Skyfall, The Avengers. He's a he's a big character actor. If you saw his face, you would know him. You would know him. Um, but uh, it's a wonderful movie. I'm probably going to run out and buy it. Um, it's it's great. It's. Uh, very well done and, and just very well acted. It's it's a wonderful story. Um, and of course, it helps that the two leads are incredibly beautiful. Um, although I will say that as they try to age Tom Pryor, uh, I guess because of the length of the shooting, they end up putting like a hairpiece on him. And it is the most horrible hairpiece this side of jamie lee curtis in halloween too like it is it is a horror to look at and if the movie has one flaw it is the hairpiece okay Ooh. and it's disgusting should have taken a firebird to that hairpiece uh exactly um uh, i but, somehow uh, it, 
didn't even hear about this. And this is why I love our film community, because I'm always still learning about titles that I wouldn't have heard about. And I know sometimes I don't want to say normal people, but people not within our community, maybe (laughs) friends or family that are just, you know, casual film fans. I'm like, I haven't even heard most of the movies you've seen. I'm like, sometimes I haven't heard of them until up until recently. I mean, I just now heard of Chuck Steele, Night of the Trampires the past month or so because of Troy and not a bomb podcast. And that was an instant buy for me after running it because I loved it. So I definitely am going to get on Firebird soon. Yeah, it's good. And um, the the way that it was couched in the trades was like a gay Top Gun, but uh, no. And there is not a lot of like fighter piloting. So it's certainly it's certainly not a gay Top Gun. It's it's really more like, I don't know, an officer and a gentleman maybe with with gay overtones. I don't know. Also, I, know, I feel but, like anybody will come with, I think Top Gun's the gay Top Gun because that's always been the wah, theory. Wah, so just... I know. Although I will tell you that the Top Gun Maverick cast, wow. Oh, yeah. Talk oh, about yeah. like eye candy galore. Uh, you know me. You know Yeesh. I love me some Miles Teller. Uh, me too. But then Glenn Powell. Yeah. I've always thought Glenn Powell was gorgeous. He's just never... He's never been in anything that really no. brought him to the forefront, and I hope that. Maverick well, does. I, if I'm correct, he's also in another like aviation movie later this year. He um, is actually. What's it called? It's uh, the one, Devotion, I think it is. Yes, Devotion. Yeah. It's yep. about the. Um, yes, I, I've I've been seeing that as well. Yeah, I just saw the, the trailer trailers. for it the other day. I think twice now. So at least they're promoting it because there are certain movies coming out within the next week or so that I'm very surprised they have not even promoted considering the casts, but yeah, they went the medieval route, right? Yeah. I which, don't know how you do that with a David O. Russell film, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not exactly. even a big O. Russell fan, but I just don't know how the hell you just dump a movie of his into a theater, but I digress. In fact, I know what movie you're talking about and I don't even know the title. I know that Christian Bale is in it, I, but I don't even know the title because there's I no I believe press. it's Amsterdam. And the only that's reason I think that's what it is is because I think of Amsterdam, which is a very, very fun film. And uh, a very different film than a David <laughs> Russell Well, movie. we think. Who knows? Maybe we're going to go in here and it's somehow a remake, which... Oh, I hope so. <laughs> that would be... Actually, that might be uh, my favorite David or Russell film because I'm overall pretty iffy on his stuff, but I do like that he has a distinct style. It's just not always for me. Spanking the Monkey, Silver Linings Playbook. I still have to see Spanking the Monkey, actually, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. I've lived it, Um, so. No. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was terrible. I'm so sorry, folks. (laughs) We do tick off the explicit rating. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Sometimes I speak before I think. Thank God it's, you know, around like-minded individuals. Well, pivoting away from the disciplining of monkeys, um, (laughs) we, we are... Moving to our movie proper, which is Pearl, uh, directed by Ty West. Um, so I will let me intro the movie just just briefly. Uh, Ty West is a uh, predominantly a horror film director. His uh, his work has also extended into horror television shows. So I think he directed um, some episodes of Scream. Um, as well as there may be one other series, which was that. Um, the exorcist, that's it. And outcast as well. Um, but Ty West, so you've heard about the splatter pack, right? Which I think, which I think includes Eli Roth, Rob Zombie, um, Scott Spiegel, those horror directors. I think Ty West is part of 
the post splatter pack horror group. And I would lump him in with say Adam Wingard um, and some of the other uh, indie horror people uh, that have sort of come up through the ranks. Um, I mention Adam Wingard because Ty West has worked a lot with Adam Wingard and whether that's acting in Adam Wingard movies or helping Adam Wingard and Joe Swanberg with the sort of mumble gore uh, as they call it. So mumble core is, was like a movement uh, where they were trying to film things as realistically as possible. And then Adam Wingard and Joe Swanberg segued into horror films like VHS. And then of course, Wingard's entire filmography, arguably you could say is, is mumble gore. Um, but Ty West comes from that. Most people will know Ty West from the film, the house of the devil and then the sort of shenanigans he had with Kevin Fever 2, Spring Fever itself, the sequel to Eli Roth's first film, Cabin Fever, about um, a flesh-eating virus that sort of takes over four uh, nubile teenagers uh, you know, at a cabin. Um, and the shenanigans over Cabin Fever 2 was that he directed it, and apparently there was so much tinkering by the studios, so much by the editors, that he asked to disown the film and have his name removed from it. But the only issue with that was he had not become part of the DGA. And so they were like, too bad your name is stuck on it. So he couldn't okay. even Alan Smithy it. That sucks. Yeah, he couldn't even Alan Smithy it. And by the way, I will say this. I have seen Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever. And it is disgusting and nauseous and terrible. And you may never eat out of a communal candy bowl after you see that movie ever. I... But there are... Th there are things that happen in that movie list, dear listeners that I never thought I would see on screen. And I do not want to see on screen again after that. Um, I've probably only seen that movie twice. And even the second time I shut it off because I was, I can't do this. I can't do it. Um, anyway, so I would concur. I, Cause I do remember seeing yeah. it. And even I was like, man, some of this stuff is really pushing it. But I also remember kind of liking it probably cause I went in with the lowest of expectations. I think I even kind of liked the third one too. But oh, the third one is a little weird yeah. with the Hobbit guy, mm -hmm. the Hobbit guy. <laughs> Sorry, the Lord of the Rings guy. So he's also directed The Innkeepers, which was apparently very well received. Yeah, I had not I, seen that. I am a really big fan of The Innkeepers. It's good. Okay. I really okay. like it. I think it's got great atmosphere. Actually, I was just talking about that uh, with, with William over the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, he directed segments in VHS as well. And then, uh, you know, obviously this film, Pearl is a prequel to the other film that he had released chronologically prior to this X um, that was released back uh, in March of this year. And I remember, yeah, so I can't remember the exact date, quickly but, on the heels, but I remember because I was visiting you, your husband, Scooter and Randy. And that was one of the films we saw in a the theater together. So, which we yeah. all loved to, to spoil that. And when I saw Pearl by myself, and that's not me being sad. I go to the movies by myself all the time. But even I was a little bit like, man, it feels a little weird not, you know, having Randy yes. Scooter and Jose with me. But <laughs> thankfully, we'll get into it. The film has its own enough flavor that it didn't feel like I was, you know, missing out on the same experience. Exactly. So the um, just as a way, again, as a way of it, an introduction, this is a prequel. And I believe that there is going to be a third movie. Um, in this series, X was the first film. The logline for X is, in 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas. 
um, and that is New Zealand masquerading as Texas. Um, but when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast find themselves fighting for their lives. Uh, that starred Mia Goth, uh, Jenna Ortega, Brittany Snow, Matt uh, Henderson, uh, Samuel Mescudi, Mescudi, also known as Kid Cudi, um, and some other stars. That was a great horror film. As Justin said, mm-hmm. uh, we all had a great reception to it. There's definitely some bonkers, what the hell is happening moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we are going to return to that because, again, Pearl is a prequel. Uh, I don't believe other than Mia Goth that there are any other actors in common. No, because um, this yeah. one is a much smaller film. And we'll get to it as a character study as where to X was more of an ensemble. With some definitely. Character study elements, but definitely more of an ensemble. Definitely. Ty West, uh, the director, is credited with Mia Goth, the actress, um, who is going to be in all three of the films. Uh, they are the co-writer, co-writers together. I hear primarily this uh, this movie was the idea of Mia Goth. Um, it has the same cinematographer as X, Elliot Rocket, and the same production designer, Tom Hammack. Um, Hammack has worked with Wingard. Um, I'm so in love with Wingard. Please, please let's not reignite my Wingard obsession. Oh, we will. Justin, Justin knows that there was a time where all I ever watched was an Adam Wingard movie or I was listening to an Adam Wingard commentary. And I would often proclaim that I was going to go to Hollywood and find him and marry him. But apparently that can't be done because he's straight. I don't know. Whatever. Also, you're married. I think that also. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean. I mean, I, I don't know your your relationship with Scooter all that well, but I I feel like it's a monogamous, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It's, tr- it's traditional monogamous, but there is an Adam Wingard clause. Anyway, back <laughs> to Pearl. <laughs> uh yeah. So, and and again, the the it, it is a prequel, and the log line for this one goes, uh, at least on IMDb, it says backstory on how Pearl became the person she was, which is nothing. But just so just so our listeners know, the quote unquote elderly hosts that um, had the ranch in X, one of the women was named Pearl, um, and her elderly husband. Uh, you know, they they were the purveyors of the ranch and allowing the people to film their porno uh, in their in their sort of like guest house. Um, OK, so I guess with that, Justin, I'm going to turn it over to you with a spoiler free yes. recommendation slash review. So as I mentioned how I felt a little sad not seeing it with uh, you three because we had saw X together, but this one has such a different flavor that while there are obvious parallels to X, the first one being Pearl coming back, and it should be noted that in X, the role of Pearl was played, if I'm correct, by Mia Goth in makeup as well. So her playing this young makes even more sense. And that is supposed to be the parallel of Pearl, much like Mia Goth's character in X, both want to be a star of different varieties um, and how that kind of just drives drives them one more insane than the other but what i think was really interesting about pearl is despite having the similar farm and definitely evocative of x it does feel so unique because while x was going for the exploitation vibe of 70s films most specifically texas chainsaw massacre what x is going for is old school technicolor movies and i will admit the one drawback to this is since this takes place in 1918 Technically, those movies didn't really happen yet, so you're kind of like 
calling going forward, but it's not like the characters themselves are imagining themselves in this Technicolor movie. They just exist in it. What's really brilliant is this takes place at the dawn of cinema, and there is elements of Pearl being wowed by seeing a movie in a theater, uh, as well as being shown a porno to kind of tie into X and most likely Maxime. But it's very clear that Pearl's real love is just dancing. The movie that she becomes obsessed with is Dance Follies. And when she imagines herself as a star, it says a dancer. And they do actually recreate like what a black and white film from 1918 would look like with her in it. So it's not like they didn't do that. But I would say most of its look and feel, definite Wizard of Oz vibes. There are, there's actually one moment that I thought was really brilliant. Uh, and it's showing her riding her bike and the way that Pearl is riding it. You, Even though, well, she might have read Reservoir of Oz at that point, but you would think, oh, she's like the Dorothy riding her bike. But the way that West and the cinematographers, they frame the shot, and especially when there's a storm going to the background, it actually reminded me more of Elmira Gulch, which was in Kansas, yes. the same actress who did Wicked Witch of the West. And I think that's really brilliant because this is an entire character story. Whereas X, yes, Mia Goth was arguably the main protagonist as the starlet to be in this porno. They all kind of shared screen time to talk about these themes of repression, sexuality, as and aging. This is Pearl's movie, not just because it's called Pearl, because yeah. everything is centered around her. I know I've seen a few people say that kind of turned them off a bit just because they felt it almost drowned out everybody else. But I feel this is a character study where it's supposed to do that. This is watching a, a woman who is living at home. Her father is very sick and ill, so she has to stand not just to take care of him along with her mother, but also tend the farm, which she does not want to do. And that is slowly driving her insane. And it's fun to, you know, think about seeing some of the same stuff that she would do when she was elderly. But what was so engaging to me was that I never once thought of Mia Goss role in X, the when she wasn't Pearl, when she was the younger starlet, despite the fact that there are parallels. They both say the line of, I'm going to be a star and all that. But she inhabits Pearl so well of this just very you know, early, I guess, 1918, you know, early 1900s, ideal starlet who, you know, just wants to be a dancer. Her husband is off to war and you can see that she's making, you know, she's regretting maybe some decisions she's made because she saw it as an out and now he can possibly die. There's a really interesting usage of setting this around what was topical at the time, Spanish influenza. So worked well for him because he was filming this during COVID. So he has an excuse to put the extras in masks. It did also play into themes of repression because the mother, as well as some of the other family members, are more frightened of the flu than Pearl is. So there's that argument of, is Pearl feeling like she's being masked by her own family and forced to kind of stay away from this ever-evolving world? Uh, because that's the biggest thing that I got from this. She is seeing, especially when she strikes up a relationship with the projectionist, she is seeing an opportunity to embrace this new culture, you know, a film of dancing of just this whole new life. And her mother almost feels like everything is moving past her and it's, it's you know, invading her daughter. It's poisoning her basically. And there's some really good parallels going on there. And Mia Goth is just everyone, even people that maybe don't like this are correctly over the moon about her. She can be very sympathetic, but 
easily flip that switch and be terrifying. And that is so much easier said than done to, to lure me in and kind of sympathize with her. But then when that other shoe drops, I kind of get that big gulp moment. There are multiple times in this film where she does like a long heartbroken, like stare into the camera when things don't go her way. And you can just slowly see those wheels turning and just her life falling apart. And I will say that if I had to choose between the two, I probably still liked X a little bit more, but that is because it speaks a little bit more to my exploitation sensibilities, some of the more slasher elements, because while there is some murders in here and some slashers, that's not the driving point of the horror. I, I think when I was looking this up on IMDb, I think it was a user review. It was like, well, this is more of a character drama than a horror movie. No, this is still a horror movie. It's psychological, but it's don't yeah. give me that elevated horror bullshit. All horror is elevated, in my opinion, as being horror. And this is a horror film on just how, not just how repression can make you go over the edge, but also not being open to bettering yourself and being critical because she Pearl is somebody who does not take any type of slight or criticism. Well, when she starts thinking that this relationship she's striking up with the projectionist maybe isn't going the way she's going, she will take maybe just a quick crack of a joke that anybody would think, Oh, you're just being playful as you don't like me anymore. And it's just very terrifying. And I just, I commend her so much for anti-West for making a film that still ties into X very well and shares a lot of those same themes. Yet I also was not thinking about X after a while. I was just drawn into this world. Even when we started getting the shots of the alligator again, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. We're in this universe. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, you know what? I think, let me just say this. <laughs> Approaching this movie just on its own, right? Mm -hmm. Like what if somebody has non X and decides to go and see this? And I think, I think there is definitely value in the film just on its own. 100%. Right? Um, I mean, it, you know, they shot the crap out of it. The, the sort of like mimicking um, that, that older style of cinema and technicolor and just even the, the sort of like widescreen aspect. Cause if you remember, at the beginning, at the beginning of X, um, there was sort of like a door frame that's almost like you know a 180, 180 <laughs> to one ratio, right? Like the I think they call it the Academy ratio, but I don't know why they call it that because that's not the Academy ratio. But anyway, whatever. Um, and when this one opens, it opens again with a door frame, but there are windows next to it, and so even just as the movie is opening, it has a different aspect ratio, two thirty five one. But then they use that to then bring in that like that 1960s, 1950s sort of feel of like movies. And it, it is odd that that it's set in the time that it's set, but it's mimicking styles of, uh, you know, anachronistic movies that came later, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a little that's a little weird disjoining that you that you've mentioned. Um, but, yeah, it's it starts out. Uh, so, again, I. I had a problem because, you know, I wanted to review this just kind of like on its own and see if you really, really needed to see X to connect with it. And you don't, you don't need to see X um, to connect with this film. In fact, it is a prequel. Um, I think you'll get more out of it, just as you said, because there are parallels between the Pearl character and the Maxine character from X, also played by Mia Goth. There are parallels that obviously you will pick up on that you will get 
And there's even there's even a uh, there's even a motif where uh, in X there is a line that is said by somebody who's seen as an oppressor that is then repeated by the person who's trying to be freed from the oppression. And that same motif actually happens here, right? Um, there is a character that says one thing in an act of discipline, and this is why you're not worthy. And then she, Pearl says it again as almost a, a, a way of like, basically saying like, I'm free. I'm not going to stand for your repressive lifestyle and you're not going to turn me into somebody that I don't want to be. Um, and all of this to say Mia Goth is fantastic in this. Um, I don't think that I have ever seen a film recently where the monologue that she gives stays on her face in one take for more than, I mean, that was like a was seven a minute, minute yeah, a 10 was, minute monologue. Yeah. And the camera never moves from her. So um, uh, we'll obviously mention this more in the spoiler sections, but in the spoiler section, but in every movie, there's always a scene where, you know, the filmmaker encapsulates all of the themes and all of the messages that they want to convey to you. Mm -hmm. And in this particular scene, uh, Mia Goth is sort of talking to her sister-in-law and she sums up all of her issues, all of what's happened, all of what the themes of this movie are. And it's done with the camera fixed on Mia Goth's face as she is saying these words. And it is just, I mean, I couldn't turn away and it was just mesmerizing Same. seeing her do it. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. And there's even a, Right before the credits roll, they do sort of the same thing, but it's it just her acting and her conveying in that last moment, um, that last shot of her. I, I know you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I'll say it later in the in the spoiler section. But it's so unnerving. Perfect word for it. Absolutely an amazing that she can convey it just by a look alone. Right. Whereas in this 10 minute monologue, I mean, she's just she's fantastic. I defy other actors yeah, to do I, something like this because again it's a one take and it's just staggeringly talented and and, and powerful yeah yeah and yeah. it's and what's so incredible like i kind of mentioned earlier it's like in those moments and especially the one you're talking about at the end and we'll get to that she has a way of making me feel sympathetic for it, but also downright terrified so unsettling i think is the yeah. perfect word to go with it and it's it's so hard to pull that off and even when i was sitting there thinking well maybe this monologue is going just a little bit too long which is probably my only other criticism of the film as a whole is maybe it's overstays its welcome and lingers just a little bit too much i think that worked with x because you had more characters here since it's so much smaller but I also don't really mind when I'm enjoying the the world I'm inhabiting. And when you just have this central performance that is just such a blow away performance. Like this is something that's not gonna get nominated at the Academy Awards because it's not their kind of film. And Definitely it's not. probably why I'm not the biggest fan of like award ceremonies, because like how is something like this, just like with Tony Collette and Hereditary, how is this something that gets overlooked? This is such powerful acting and so tricky. And again, when you it works so well on its own. But, like, if you have seen X, I defy, maybe somebody else can, but I defy you to be like, that's that's also Maxine, like, the same, like, even though they have those parallels, the fact that I never thought, because I thought that was going to be my issue going into this, was 
you know, she's not caked under the makeup like as the old person. So I'm like, am I just not going to see Pearl? Am I going to see Maxine as Pearl? No, I never once thought about Maxine in this film uh, at all. Yeah. Un- unless even after the fact, it was after the fact when I was really kind of going, oh, yeah, those parallels were there because I was just so engrossed with her performance. It is a fantastic performance. The I think the issue for me, though, was I even with the trailer at the end of X for this film, they were apparently shot concurrently at the same time. Um, although I think Maxine is is separate from that. They did not film that the same time as this. Um, my issue with the film was is I went in blind thinking that it was a horror movie and it is not. I mean, there are horror elements, as you mentioned, but it is definitely a character study. And I, on my first viewing, I was put off a little bit by the high, highly stylized presentation of it. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to settle into that. And I think that as strong as that presentation is, so again, it's it's almost like, and I'm sure I'm probably going to be wrong about this, but to me, it feels like a 1960s and 1950s movie and there is constant music mm-hmm. and the music is used like literally, I don't think there's any non music except for her monologue. Yeah. Right. I think there is constantly music playing and the music is used um, to get the audience to where they should be feeling emotionally. And I found that almost like a barrier between me and the story. Um, that it was so the the presentation of it was so overriding that not only could I not get into all of the proceedings, but I was confused. Is this a comedy? Is it a black comedy? What am I supposed to be feeling with this woman? The music's telling me one thing. I'm seeing different things from her acting and from the story. And when it finally does start to settle into okay, the poor thing has gone nuts. <laughs> um, and then the, the, the horror elements come out and the, and bodies start dropping. That's when I did start to lean into it. But then it does yet another 180 when it comes to her, you know, uh, audition and then the, the, the play out from what happens mm-hmm. with that. And then we get that stellar monologue. Um, so unfortunately I, 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 I didn't quite get to, um, oh, the filmmakers think they're smarter than us and look how clever we are, okay? Although it sort of fe- it felt like that in the beginning. It teeters okay? on it. And I will actually agree to a degree because like I mentioned earlier, my one issue that I keep coming back to is, and I don't think it needed to look like a movie from 1918, but it is weird to have, I'm thinking maybe 30s, 40s, but you're probably closer to right with 50s. And I've seen some people saying, more like Douglas Sirk movies from the 60s and 70s, which would have been harkening back. But the downside to that in also some of those heavy Wizard of Oz motifs, we didn't even talk about the Scarecrow scene, which pretty sure that Scarecrow looked like what the Scarecrow from one of the earlier adaptations of the Wizard of Oz did. Um, but uh, some... It reminded me of the Snake Eyes mask from the first G.I. Joe, like that weird, <laughs> that weird scary sex doll thing. Yes. Ugh. Very anyway. honestly, that might just be just that Scarecrow alone <laughs> scared me more than anything, almost scared me more than anything else. There is that layer of, is this laying it on just a little bit too thick? Um, I felt that for the most part, there was a good balance, but it was hard for me to shake. You're going for this Technicolor vibe. And it does kind of contrast because I love the fact that Pearl herself is not completely taken aback by the by films itself. It's just that it's taking her 
passion and you know putting it into a new art form because well i'm sure there were people that were gung-ho right at the beginning of films at that time coming out i think it would have been really weird if she just became this film obsessed person when it's still the dawn of it like i like yeah. the fact that when she goes back and you know, she doesn't care about any other movies she cares about dancing follies um, yeah. Well, she also cares about getting out of the town and away from true. her parents. Exactly. But so, even, but even with her auditions, it's it's still to be in like a play in front of people. And even when she's dreaming of herself in the film, just like with Dancing Follies, it's not so much a film as it is just a recorded version of that play. You see the pool out mm. with the crowd throwing her flowers and all right. that. So it's it's different than how Maxine would want, who is going to be somebody that wants that film star because that's you know by the seventies you know pretty much 100% guaranteed. And I'd even say the showing the early porn film was just, I think that one could have been excised because that really was just there to be like, by the way, this is in the X universe. Cause I just don't right. feel like it really got developed enough to really be like, yeah, this is where it's going. And like, yeah, I see what you're doing. Like you didn't really that kind of killed the flow there for a little bit and was almost a little too comedic, but I did. I think in a way, I think in a way that was brought up to, um, um, I think it was brought up just to show that the David Corn sweat character um, had weird ulterior motives. Yeah, and even if and even if those motives were just to bang her and leave her alone, that again, I the thing that works about the movie is the fact that we are going along this journey with with Pearl, where it's just one thing after another. Her dreams are being crushed. She, um, you know, her parents, her mother is overly disciplinarian and just wants her to stay in the house. She's caring for her father. It's an obligation that she never even really took on, but it's become a part of her life. And so now the projectionist doesn't really want to be with her, just wanted to bang her. And now he's going to go off and do whatever and not take her away. And then, you know, it's just one thing after another that goes wrong for her. And then she breaks. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that works. But again, I just felt like the, the presentation of it was definitely laying it on too thick. Mm -hmm. And if you, and if you look at this, when the bodies start to drop, that's when the little technicolor thing kind of goes away. Yeah. Which right? is a it, nice kind it, of way. They drop the stylization. Though I will also say in this case, those more bodies dropping slasher elements, that's I kind of liked the weird juxtaposition by between this almost com dark comedy horror and laying on that area thick of like what an old school drama melodrama would be like. Yeah. But when it did, even though I liked the idea of it kind of dropping as it showed, you know, her life, you know, careening out of control, the slasher elements almost like they felt lifted from X. And it was like, they didn't really feel like they fit here, even though technically, you know, Pearl would still be doing this stuff down the road. It just seemed, we'll get to it in the spoiler section on their own. There's a really cool set piece, but in this film, it was almost too grand for something that was much quieter. And I think that's definitely sometimes the point it's mirroring how she blows up. Um, yeah. But I, I will say, and it's funny because Martin Scorsese has come out in appreciation of both these films, but especially Pearl. And I know you had brought uh, his film Hugo up when we were talking about 3000 years of longing because being love letters. And I think it makes for a good conversation of, I know Scorsese loves this film and I'm sure it definitely has to do with some of the exploitation elements because he's a very big fan of Vice Squad as well. So I think he has those sensibilities in yeah. it. But you can really tell that he was like, it's great to see people who still, you know, love and understand film. 
at what point does, and I feel like Ty West teeters on it, but for me was able to stay the course, but at what point do you just become, look what I can do and look what I know? Do we? So I fell on that other, I fell on that other angle. I, I did not get a Hugo vibe. Like I love movies and, and, you know, we're writing a love letter. I, I got the, it just was intrusive. It created a barrier between me and the story. And I, 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 I got the, the you know, look what I, look what I can do, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but so the weird thing is, is that I can almost see where some people would see this movie and they would, they would laugh mm -hmm. at some of it and not take it seriously. And I can see where that can go. But I, I think the biggest point, at least for this story is that, is that she is still a child, mm -hmm. right? And that there is not only an arrested development, but there is is um, her desire to get to a certain point emotionally and physically in her life that only comes with age. And so I think she, not only is there an arrested development, meaning she doesn't know how to interact with other people because she's been trapped in this house that she doesn't isn't able to really give give voice to her own desires or thoughts other than when she's with the father who is stricken with the flu and doesn't speak and doesn't you know do stuff and arrested development in the respect that okay who bathes completely naked in front of their father yeah that was... can't say anything like what what what, what? <laughs> that was very weird and it's also weird because in honor of louise fletcher rest in peace i watched the adaptation of vc andrews flowers in the attic that she was in yes. and that includes a scene where the brother is bathing the sister and granted i know the book goes crazier but i'm like how yeah. am i within a week's time seeing family members bathing <laughs> each other this is fucking weird <laughs> what weird incestuous in? stuff exactly but but again i think the point of the character was when you when you when you put together both the arrested development and the inability to then um, realize that like life doesn't work that way, that you, you can't plan it out just because you want it, mm -hmm. it. It doesn't happen. Life is not always like that. And then she couldn't reconcile that and then goes nuts and just start yeah. killing everybody. Right. So as that kind of story, I think, uh, again, I didn't know what to expect it started to work when the bodies started to drop and her performance is, is, is wonderful, but I question whether this should have been released like the fear street trilogy fear street did, um, you know, whatever 74, 84, and then they went back to like a, a, a another time. I feel like we should have gotten Maxine before this, okay. because I think from X to this, it's too jarring. Right. Do you think, and uh, granted, I still haven't seen the Fear Street movies. I know uh, certain listeners going to yell no. at me because that was my my homework assignment when I mentioned that, I think, on the first episode. Do you think it worked on Fear Street and it would have worked here? Or do you feel like it might have been even more jarring? Because I'm, I'm just from what I'm getting from the vibe from Maxine being set in the 80s, still being about Maxine, I think that's really going to go even more into exploitation and like 80s hardcore. So would it even oh, be... Yeah. Would that still work that you'd be gotten at our system or would be even more jarring as opposed to putting these in the middle? I do think dropping it so close after X probably maybe hurt its box office a little bit, uh, especially because X became more popular on video, but also is a little jarring because, I mean, I know it worked for Fear Street, but that was such a unique thing. Here, yeah. even I was just like, I remember when we saw 
X and we we stayed and we saw the Pearl thing after the end credits. I still thought it was a gag. I didn't think a movie was actually filmed until we right. it up. And then it yeah. was like, oh, they're going to release it soon. I thought next year, like March, like each March. And then they're like, oh, right. by the way, it's coming in September. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? I just, I don't. And see, and seeing how this prequel had uh, DNA threads that actually tie into and explain things in mm -hmm. X. Um, and that's why I say that if you have seen X and then you see this, you're definitely going to get more out of it. Um, I just think this was, I question whether this was too soon and whether this is the order the film should have been released in. Yeah. Um, I yeah. almost wonder so if that's a, that's problematic for me. I almost wonder if it would have been, obviously he thought of this after the fact when he really fell in love with the idea and the character of Pearl, but like, would this have worked even better as being the first movie in this? Cause it's still getting a lot of love, but I also wonder if it would have gotten even more attention and maybe that would hurt X, maybe not because then you're also showing the, the growth of cinema as opposed to going backwards. So it would make more sense in that thematic element as well. Because, I mean, X, well, X still yeah. works. All of Ty West's films, they're definitely slow builds. They're slow burns. They start out as character studies. But the difference was, one, X had the ensemble and the exploitation that is much more, like I said, speaks to me. And I think a lot of people seeing it and film fans. But it it does transition better into that slasher territory and having stuff since Pearl is so isolated. I, the one criticism I will say is I do feel this film needed a little bit of tightening. I do think getting close mm -hmm. to that middle to that, it starts to sag a bit. Um, and I think that works when you have a bunch of characters, but I can see that point of it almost overriding some of the other characters just because since it's just her that because it's what maybe an hour and 40 so it's not like it's a too long of a movie but yeah but even by this 40. but i think this is a great example of time being relative where you can have a short film like i'll stand by this the original when a stranger calls would be great if it was a 15 to 20 minute short once it goes yeah. into the future it just falls apart and then when they remake it and it's that entire thing the first 15 to 20 minutes an hour and a half it's still too long for that movie even if it's a short movie in comparison it's right. time is relative to to what your material needs and i think this one could have been closer to 80 85 and packed more of a up of a punch. punch and as much yeah. as i love that monologue even i'll say maybe just trim that a little bit because even that was starting to to teeter on okay all right i, I mean look you know i so <clears throat> knowing ty west and knowing his slow burns if pearl had been released first and this is a big if right but if pearl had been released first i would have expected that mm -hmm. i would have i would have realized that this was a character study it's a slow burn there's going to be an explosion and then x has the built you know at least if they did the same marketing it has that built-in um sexy exploitation porny dirty you know whatever although he was going for an upscale presentation of that how you include porn elements and try to do something upscale, I, I don't know. When I think uh, of upscale porn, you, I think Boogie Nights. I was about to okay. say, have you not seen Boogie Nights? Yes. All right, it's fucking yes. Burt Reynolds, okay? <laughs> but not X. Yeah. X was, I still look at X and I still think it's still grindhousey dirty that it doesn't feel upscale, but it, that's just me. But then again, um, I'm also the sign of why can't something that's quote unquote upscale grindhouse, why can't that just be the top of that and still sit alongside anything that's upscale? Why do we true. To, why true, do we true. have to, to I, I see what you're getting at. I, I feel but I feel good point, Red. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um all of this to say that 
I don't really know how audiences are going to take to this. And I, I feel like, uh, I feel like this was just released at the wrong time and in the wrong order. Yeah. I am yeah. very curious because I also have a lot of you know friends who are big horror fans that loved X. And I do think the big hurdle for this one's going to be, again, X is something like 70s onward is what I think a lot of horror fans really come to. Like they might love some of your classic universal stuff, but I don't know how many of them are going to... I mean, I didn't appreciate, but really care about all the Technicolor stuff and all of that because it's not like recreating a Universal monster movie or even Technicolor or like a Hammer movie. It's doing like Douglas Circabello dramas, as somebody eloquently right. put. So is that it is going to have that uphill battle as to where I think X got a great reception because it's great. And I still think that, but it's also more. I don't want to say relatable, but it's maybe to some, but it's not, it's more accessible because it's more familiar playing with those themes of seventies Texas Chainsaw Massacre being the big one that everyone draws the comparison to. Well, um, I think before we go into the spoiler discussion, I just want to say that um, Hammock's production design in this is, is fantastic. Uh, There is a, although there are shots that mirror shots that were in X, um, everything is in primary colors. I mean, it's, you know, red, blue, or green. I mean, it's fantastic. The inside of that film projection booth, it looked like the inside of like, like a sub. It was amazing. <laughs> that design, I was like, yeah. whoa, why is this more? So when I saw that, the the way that, that it's made, I was like, this looks oppressive. How can this be like a projection booth, right? Like I'm getting bad vibes from this. There's a dirty couch, like there's like, <laughs> you know, rivets in the, in the steel wall. So they're very interesting choices here, production wise and, and color wise that are pretty fantastic. Um, especially the interior of the house with the somewhat gaudy and yet mesmerizing wallpaper and, um, you know, and even the costume design and stuff. And and the woman, I don't, I'm not familiar with the woman who played the mother, but like, she like scared the crap out of me. Yeah, she was, like her. she was, I did really- not like her at all. Almost a little you know? bit. I mean, it works, but it's almost like, are we are we going a little bit too heavy, even with her? Uh, yeah, I because know. you want because you German. do because you do sympathize with her. I mean, she's also you know trying to protect Pearl, who, like you said, is Arrested Development, but also she didn't expect to be basically being a mother to her husband on top of running this farm. But like, it's yeah. it's that easier. Well, if we make her a little bit more villainous, which works in this case, you could still be lured into siding with Pearl more. But yeah, some of that stuff was laid on thick, but it's. Terrible. Terrifying. There's, I think it was put off also by the whole German stuff, right? Yeah, the German that stuff. Would, I could. That would be enough news about dead Jim and yeah, and, and I feel like that was probably also because like almost being like foreshadowing of what's going to come even later in the time periods, which again also laying it on too thick. Then when you think about it, but yeah, I would have toned yeah. that part probably down. But I will say the there's a dinner scene where she confronts Pearl about seeing dance follies. Whew, that got me. Yeah. That was, yeah. So I guess we'll just segue right into spoiler stuff, yeah, huh? Yeah, let's go. Um, Do we want to so give a s- rating quick just for anybody that's not going to listen to spoilers yet before seeing the film? I, I, I think that's I think that's kind of fair to do because I think some people no, I think it, you, I, I've I noticed think some fair. people will say they'll listen up to the spoilers and then wait. So if you are yeah. one of those folks and you're still on the fence about maybe seeing it without spoilers, I will still say this is worth a watch. I think it is very ambitious for him, even if it's a little bit too on the nose at times and could have been trimmed a little bit. But especially with Mia Goss' performance, it did take me on a ride and unnerved me unlike most movies have in a while. So I will still say watch it. 
And for me, Mia Goth, again, pow powerhouse performance. She's probably one of the best things about this entire film. Um, and she she's really come along as an actress. I remember her just from, you know, A Cure for Wellness and then uh, Luca Guadagnino's remake of Suspiria. Um, but but what's weird is she disappears into characters. There are things that I'll see on her resume and go, oh, my God, that is her. That I forgot was she her. was in Suspiria. And I was just talking about that movie again the other day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think it's a it's a fantastic performance. If there is anything to to go to see this, it's for her, obviously. Um, and also credit to her for writing this. But unfortunately for me, it's a skip because one, I think it's out of order. I, I'm pretty sure that after we see Maxine that we probably should have had this movie after that. But more to the point, its stylization is very, very off-putting. And even going in without knowing what the plot was, I was very confused by the tone of it. You know, am I, am I supposed to be cringing? Am I supposed to be laughing? Like, who am I identifying with? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, unfortunately, it's a skip. Fair enough. But now yeah. let's get into some spoilers. Yes. So I have to say, <laughs> I have to say that the reason why this movie doesn't work for me is not only its overstylized presentation, but please, Jesus God, if you're going to give me a movie like X and you are going to put things in it that make me go, what the fuck? Why is that there? and not explain it, right? Mm -hmm. Which works, right? So if we're if we're if we're looking at a film like The Birds, there's no explanation for why the birds go crazy, right? They just do. And I they just do. And there are things in X that work that happen that are scary and they don't explain it and it made that movie great, right? Mm -hmm. I I loved X because of that. But if you're going to give us a film like this, and then explain why those things happen, and it's not going to even be a great explanation, then you're just destroying or tarnishing a great first film for the sake of, look what I can do, look how I can connect these things. Mm -hmm. And that that is ultimately why this does not work for me, right? So it explains why Pearl, after murdering the sort of goofy... Uh, dp in x why she starts doing that weird dance mm -hmm. right which for me was like oh my god i'm scared i'm scared she just murdered this guy and here she is doing this fucking dance like she's off her rocker but then to use this film to explain it just sort of now cheapens it in some ways um and uh again there are other threads to that connect to X. So obviously when she dispatches the super hot projectionist guy, um, who, by the way, David Cornsweat, I have said for years needs to be Superman. Mm, I um, see it. And I will also say as somebody who keeps saying, I said in the first episode, I'm not the biggest fan of men with mustaches. Very few people can pull it off here. Just like with uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, they're coming in and be like, dude, we can pull it off. Cause whew, he looks great with a mustache. Uh, I was literally drooling into my popcorn oh. <laughs> um, when he came onto screen. I was like, yeah, hello. Okay. Even I was just like cheating on your husband. I don't care. Do it. And I felt terrible. Yes, saying I was that. like, but I'm like, do, do it. it. He's overseas. Get the he's, projections. We know it. he's coming back, but realistically, he probably isn't, you know? <laughs> right. As Serial Mom says, get it, girl. Okay, get <laughs> it. Um, 
But, uh, you know, when she dispatches him in a very gory way and then his car goes into the brink, well, that explains why there's that car mess mm -hmm. in, in X or whatever. But I just, even, even with that connection and repeating visual motifs and then obviously the, the fun playing joke about the alligator and why, why the alligator actually, in some ways, you know, when, she, when Pearl dispatches Brittany Murphy in X... We now know why Brittany the alligator Snow, is nearby. Brittany, yes, Brittany <laughs> Snow. I don't want Brittany anyone Snow. being like, wait, Brittany Murphy's back? I'm like, no, folks, unfortunately. Right. Or Brittany Murphy. No, folks, Brittany Murphy and Brittany Spears were not in X. Um, but that sort of explains why she's able to dispatch Brittany with the alligator, because the alligator was expecting food, right, mm -hmm. um, as it was played up here. And so I just, it was too, too, look what I can do, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, nudge. And all of that might have been fine as a third film, but too soon on the heels of X, I, I just it it did not work. For I me. I will say this: I think even in a third film, I would still probably have those issues. Where I think we differ, just in perspectives, is I'm fairly good at separating. Like it's not going to tarnish the first film or anything for me because I can still take that on its own and just ignore this. But I will agree in Pearl, those are the weakest elements. One of the upsides to Pearl is even though I've seen X not too long ago and have even been diving into some of the special features, um, so it's still fresh in my mind, a lot of the other themes that they're tackling with here and her performance is so powerful that it was easier for me to kind of forget them. But I do agree that, one, I am somebody that does not always need an explanation for things, and that's one of the reasons I liked X is you don't always need to be told why i mean that's it's kind of why i don't really like the thorn uh trilogy of halloween because i just yeah. like the definition that michael myers is just evil personified why because he is we don't know why this person has become possessed almost by you know evil itself but he has that's the scary thing telling me why even even though i kind of like rob zombies halloween telling me why does sometimes dilute it even if it doesn't do it in the original film it can in the prequel or any sequel where they want to dive too far into it i like a lot of fear is not knowing. Um, yeah. So those I, elements. And I, quote, oh, and I quote Jamie Kennedy from the first scream, you know, uh, it's the millennium motives are incidental. Yeah. Like, you don't always need to know why people yeah. do what And sometimes do. people don't have motives. They're just... Exactly. And maybe and that's, that's... the scary thing. Yeah, and that's the scary thing. And <laughs> honestly, I think it worked here uh, with showing Pearl's motives because it's such a character study, but there is also an argument to be made that laying it on too thick with, like you were saying, with some of the callbacks or, I guess, uh, foreshadowing to stuff that's going to happen in X, as well as just all... For a movie that is very slow and lets moments like monologue, the monologue breathe, it also doesn't let certain moments, like you said, when she kills the guy and she just starts dancing in that. Sometimes that doesn't work. Like that dancing where it's awkward, like I kind of liked in the beginning where, especially with the scarecrow, and that was the spot where it kind of won me over. It's like, this is kind of going for like uh, almost, like you said, somewhat comedy cringe, but like that's part of the weird terror. And it, that worked for me. But there were moments where he did kind of, it, it was a little too showy. And yeah. I almost think it would work better had you not seen X because then you're not going to be thinking of those foreshadowing moments. You're just going to be taking them as this weird thing. So that's why I'm thinking, even though I guess it would hurt X then because now that movie's just doing callbacks for the sake of callbacks. But <laughs> maybe it will work better that this was first just because one, then you go into X knowing it's exploitation but still thinking it's going to be that slow burn, which it is. But then maybe those bigger moments are even, even grander because you're like, oh shit. Um, and that is the... 
the biggest issue with Pearl is they still try to, uh, when she dispatches of her mother somewhat accidentally uh, in a fit of rage, she sets her on fire. And it's this great fire scene, uh, fire stunt set piece. And the, the makeup yeah. after of her face is really grisly. But I'm like, Ugh. it's almost... I, I was liking some of the weird juxtaposition in this, but that moment was almost like too juxtaposed against some of the other more psychological stuff. Like that felt like something that you would see in X, which was more of a slasher at its heart when this is not. And those moments, or even just how she dispatches of, of the projectionist and all those. And I did, I, I will say I hated the moment, even though as its own scene, it still kind of works with her father. Like, oh my God, is she going to push him and feed him to the crocodile? That was yes. the one time where even I was like, okay, now that's too much making me think of X. And I'm like, ah. also because I didn't think she was going to well, do it that moment. But it that was... Well, you know, at that, at that point, some of the horror too comes from the fact that like her father can't, apparently can't speak mm -hmm. and just the look of terror on his face when he knows things are going down and Pearl has oh, yeah. lost her shit. Like it, that's uh, the gentleman's name is Matthew Sunderland, but it, it's a great performance actually. Yeah. That's, that's um, um, similar to when like the projectionist is coming over and she's prepping him and you can, he's already kind of noticed she's slowly going off. And then later after everything with the mother and he had to sit by and watch it and how she's just still trying to be like daddy's little girl and like I'm making everything right and you're just seeing props to him as well because as much love as we're heaping and rightfully so Mia Goth he had a really challenging I talk about I like it when people act with their eyes and just body movement well, this, he had to pretty much just act with his eyes and he he conveyed terror and confusion and just sorrow all of this just with some of his some of his gazes like it's to almost the, heartbreaking. Yeah, actually. it's almost like she would have been, I hate to say it, but she would have been doing him somewhat of a service. I mean, it would suck being fed to a crocodile or an alligator, whichever one it is. I'm sure somebody will tell me. Um, yeah. There are differences. But because it would have been kind of putting him out of his misery, but you also don't want to, you know, you get to the point of it's still a human being. You don't want to actually do that. But yeah, I've, he's really the the most heartbreaking character in this entire film. There are there are bright spots in the movie, but it just I feel like they weren't you know enough. But I think the thread of the whole you know what we do to sort of like escape the negative parts of our upbringing mm -hmm. and how that makes us rail against society, whether society is out there or in here in our homes. I like that thread between the two movies. Um, but clearly, I think, you know, they were showing Pearl as being very, very childlike with that arrested development, precisely to set her apart from Maxine in mm -hmm. some ways, to give us a different heroine with the same sort, well, anti-hero, as it were, yeah. um, to give us an anti-hero with the same sort of themes of a larger society repressing somebody uh, microcosmic things oppressing somebody and what they do to sort of act out against that. And sometimes it works. Maxine gets to drive away at the end of X and then sometimes, you know, yeah. it doesn't and Pearl ends up. So, you know, we were talking about uh, the end shot, which is when, <laughs> when um, Pearl's husband who has been overseas and again is one of these factors that ends up 
you know, making her feel like the world is against her because she thought he's going to take me away from the farm or away from this life. And instead, after she unfortunately miscarries, which is why she destroys that egg, Mm -hmm. the alligator egg. I was like, what is she doing with this egg? I thought she was going to hatch it and have a pet alligator. But then apparently she, you know, squashes it with her, with her hand all to the tune of the, the boy coming home and then blowing up, which was bizarre. Mm -hmm. Right. But then you find out later she has the miscarriage and then he decides, I, I guess because they had grown apart to join the war effort and go overseas. And so he comes back at the end of the movie and we're left with this shot in close of Mia Goth sort of like smiling after he has seen all the dead bodies and the burned mom and then like all of this stuff. And she's just smiling uneasily. Right. And the rest of the movie, it, you know, as the credits play is her having this like horrific smile that then turns into her crying while she's smiling without breaking that smile either so terrifying oh it's creepy and and just it's fantastic i just wish it weren't in in this movie (laughs) or that or maybe that you wish the rest of the movie lived up to it even though i yes there you go there you go either way either way no either way works i'm just saying it could be you know (laughs) yeah and I need to see more of this corn sweat person because yes. let me tell you, he was wearing those pants wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> but um, now I'm imagining yeah. maybe maybe the alternate universe where this is just her and a pet alligator crocodile mowing down people. It gets really, yes. really uh, exploitative. Um, exactly. And the other thing I wanted to mention too was the um, this woman, Emma Jenkins Perrow, who plays the the – sister-in-law mm-hmm. she actually was pretty damn good yeah. too and she was especially she, she during played up that um oh i'm so sunny and wonderful and look at our lives and don't tell anybody but we're gonna audition and run away together like she played that really really well and i i think she is a local girl i think she's new zealand because imdb lists her as being in the broken wood mysteries which is a new zealand um uh uh, mystery show. Okay. Yeah, but and, she was good too. And and to heap a little bit more praise on her, she is the one that Pearl is giving the monologue to because Pearl, you know, when she's snapping, her sister-in-law is trying to be very helpful. And she goes, well, just imagine that I'm, you know, your husband and just say what you want to say. And she just goes in this dialogue and you could see this spot where she's scared, but she's also trying not to genuinely, not just for her safety, but generally doesn't want to hurt Pearl. Cause she's like, this, this woman needs help. Um, and like how Pearl, like, lures her into this false sense of like, no, no, you can tell me you got the part. And like, but I thought she did a really good job of like actually making you believe that she was being genuine. Cause it's very easy for that role to just feel so false because you get the vibe that she comes from. Definitely. She comes from a much richer family. We see it earlier when they try to bring that pig roast to uh, Pearl's parents and Pearl's mother makes it just stay out on the, oh the porch God. for the entire film as more and more maggots bleh, just keep uh, developing on it. And they kind of notice that, but you feel like even if she ever unintentionally makes people feel smaller, you know, it's unintentional. Like she has a genuine heart, but like there's only so much that she's so young and just like Pearl and hasn't seen the world yet uh, to understand that. And she, you do feel like she's being genuine at the, at the auditions, like she's a little taken aback when Pearl's like, no, I'm getting this. But you can also tell, like, you almost kind of think at that moment, like she was like, I hope Pearl gets it over me. Um, yeah. And that's a great. So wait a minute. I have a, so I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think she got the part or was that just Pearl's insanity? 
I think it was Pearl's insanity. Or even I think it was Pearl's yeah, insanity. And even too. if she said it genuinely, I feel like she just said it to appease Pearl at that point. I don't think so she, she could get the fuck out of there. Yeah, I don't think she got the part either. <laughs> I think she was being genuine. She said, "No, I didn't actually get the part. I don't think she was lying. I think Pearl's insanity just took over." And you know, kudos to Ty West and Mia Goth as well, and the editors, I suppose, for keeping it locked on her because I think. If they cut away and you would see like, you know, her, the sister bugging out and having like bug eyes or something, it would have cut down the dramatic effect of that entire monologue. And so it really is kind of, kind of wonderful that, you know, it cuts back to her and she's just like, like flabbergasted. I mean, she, she looked like what I, what we look like after the preview screening of seven, like, right. You know, (laughs) she was just like. I don't know what to make of this. Mm-hmm. I will just leave now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. And I don't like to be a person that tries to like trash. and like, well, they don't do it this way anymore in cinema because, you know, things evolve. But the one thing that I am always critical of film that's nowadays, and it's been for a while now, it is like a lot of quick cuts and jarring editing. And it's very, very much playing up this idea that you can't stay on a shot for too long. And I loved seeing that when it's not that. And it doesn't even just happen with, I love pro wrestling and the two biggest American companies right now, WWE and AEW, are horrible with just constant camera cuts. AEW might be better, but I also think I just have Stockholm Syndrome because I watched it enough times. (laughs) Because every now and then when somebody else new watches and brings it up, I can't unnotice it. I'm like, can I stay with a shot for more than five seconds? Because that actually does the opposite effect on me, even though I have, because I know the thing as well, it's for the ADHD crowd. Well, I have ADHD. I grew up with it. And even as a kid, that actually did not help. I know for some it will, but for me, that made it worse for me. I didn't like, it just triggered it even worse. I mean, you know, this is this just goes back to my complaint about action films where, you know, why would you put the camera like, at waist level, mm-hmm. five inches from the two people fighting when you can't see any exactly. physicality. Two reasons like, just- being hiding any special effects or bad choreography, or two, the one that is sometimes intentional, the, well, we want you to be in the action. Well, unless it's a found footage movie, I don't want to be in the action. Exactly. I, want I would rather I would see it all play out. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, this, uh, I don't know. There, I... I, I'm a little disappointed that as as fantastic as X was, Pearl mm-hmm. was a little bit of a letdown. But but like I said, Mia Goth's performance is wonderful, and just mm-hmm. the childlike intensity that she she brought, especially to that scene when the projection was like, um, "Yeah, we're not going to Europe. I'm going to go back to the theater." And she was like, "Wow!" Yeah, that was like screaming that other like, shoe dropping. And I was like, "Uh oh!" And like, yeah. Time and you and he was sensing it, but like even he wouldn't know how crazy it was. And like, cause he's yeah. just kind of casually walking back to her car, and that like the shot following him as she's approaching him was was really well done. And unfortunately, I think that you know we're doing a lot of we're doing a lot of speculating, like like oh god, it's starting again. Like when Adam Wingard and um and Sam uh, Simon Barra talked about the fact that they kept the Blair Witch sequel a secret up until its first like actual screening um you know there's a school of thought like that was the dumb thing to do because it was an old ip you need to drum up interest Mm -hmm. for people going back to see it why would you keep it a secret all of this to say you know there is no doubt that ty west is extremely talented right there there there's stuff in this that is fantastic that i wish would have worked you know for the overall 
uh, recommendability of, of this film, but it's clear that he absolutely knows what he's doing. And, you know, we're doing a lot of speculating, like, should he have released this first and then gone into X? Should this be the third movie or whatever? Um, but you're right. Thank you, Justin, for bringing it back to, you know, does the movie stand up on its own, even if not connected to X? And unfortunately for me, it's, it's unfortunately it doesn't. And even with its connections with X, um, you know, I think that X by itself is a better picture. And even with this film explaining some of the things in it, you're right. It shouldn't tarnish the product that X was, but for me watching this and I was, I wasn't even going into this trying to connect the two because I knew 1918, whatever the yeah, time was, 1918 to 1979. Like, what are you going to connect? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was kind of looking for some of those things, but I wasn't actively hunting for them. But when the when the connections did come, I felt like it did cheapen X in some ways. Yeah, but. and I don't want to discredit uh, you, your perspective either because i mean it's it's fitting that you brought up uh wingard's blair witch because i think you liked it a little bit more than me and i remember when it came out the elements that were their own i felt bringing to this blair witch methods worked but i felt it didn't cheapen anything in the other blair witch films but it cheapened that movie because when they had to incorporate elements that you're familiar with with blair witch the well i will say the claustrophobic scene still works but some scenes with the 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 little witch symbols and all of that and yeah. kind of recreating but upping the ante with the the house that's where Blair Witch ended up kind of hurting for me and I think it would have just been better being its own you know spiritual successor just called the woods so I also don't want to discredit that because I get that entirely um, and I definitely see that as it it's hard not to compare this to a way to X as well because it's a prequel I just I think for me usually I can at least separate like Clerks 3 would have been a great example if I hated Clerks 3 it would still suck but it's not going to make me even if I don't like decisions made in Clerks 3 it wouldn't make me go well now it, it I don't like certain things in Clerks 1 or 2 because it leads to something in Clerks 3 or changes something about the character I'd just be like well you know what Clerks 3 hasn't happened yet and in my mind it just doesn't happen yeah. you know I can yeah. I'm, I've gotten better with that because I used to be like that and that would make me hate certain it's very easy to hate on a sequel and again you're, you can't get away from that if you're going to do a prequel anything with an IP you're bringing in that that interest that's what's driving it so right it would be disingenuous for ty west to be like watch this movie and by the way it's connected to x but don't look for the connection like yeah, that, especially that when he work. does make the connections and i will say yes, it just it doesn't exactly. ruin those elements in x but it does soften some of the blow in pearl yeah absolutely good good point i like that <laughs> oh and by the way um i was um stalking or er, researching david cornsweat <laughs> and uh, He's from, he's six, four. He's from, um, Pennsylvania Ooh. and apparently, and apparently what part of Pennsylvania as does it say? Philly. Okay. Not far from me. Hmm. Yeah. Not far from you. Either, um, really. His father was born and raised in new Orleans, but this, this, I, so I was like staring in his face as usual, like in awe. And, um, I was like, he's, there's some Russian something or other in there. And it is true. It says here, his relatively rare surname is of Russian Jewish origin. His father's family were Russian Jewish, German Jewish immigrants to New Orleans where his father grew up. So I was right. Russian Jew. Yeah. I knew it. Perfect. Um, anyway. Kind of ties into Firebird a little bit then too. <laughs> uh, actually, yes, it certainly does. Um, okay. So yeah, I guess to return to our, ver oh, although 
Is there anything else we want to talk uh, about? I, Pearl? No, I don't think so. I think everything that we wanted to discuss, I mean, you even brought up the only thing I would say is further showing like it almost acts as like, this could be what happened if Maxine didn't make it out alive or succeed at the end of X because right. do you get that? Maybe we'll get that more with Maxine and maybe that's why he's doing that one third to show some of those parallels. Uh, because yeah, anytime Pearl has even a slight, I mean, that audition where it's, that's going to happen. You need to be set up for failure. I mean, that's what John Waters told a bunch of people asking about filmmaking is you just need to accept no. And that's just part of the business. And that no might eventually turn to a yes, because if you take it so personally, you're never going to get far because. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Um, as somebody who has performed in community theater and, and has done auditions, that scene was painful because again, again, it was like, it's going to be a no ma'am or whatever. And then she's just like, because she's arrested development child. She's like, why, why I practice? I'm sure I did it good. Why won't you accept me? And it's kind of like everything every actor does in their head after the, after the audition, before they even hear a yes or a no. And then even when they hear a no, right. That was a gut-wrenching scene yeah, for me. <laughs> and, and it's hard not to take any of that personally because you, you put yourself out there. Of course, it's personal, but it's like you need to find that perspective of – and to be fair, if she's you know asking what's wrong, if you're having that perspective of you know you fall down, you get back up, you learn what you made your mistake. If you're just being told, no, it didn't work, it's hard to also go, well, what's wrong? What can I fix? But right. you also know that there's a part of Pearl because of the rest of development where she doesn't have what I think a lot of us get as we get older and I do – where we become our worst critic, which can be a positive because it means we're always trying to better ourselves. But like, I've always said that with even podcasting, no matter what somebody says to me, I probably thought it or thought worse about, I'm always thinking like, Oh shit, I said this or that, but you need to get to that spot of being able to accept that. And with her arrested development, yeah, that seems really hard. It makes it 10 times worse than it would be for anybody else. Because she's not accepting it, even when her sister-in-law is saying, well, but if you don't, like there isn't. I know I was like that. We all were like that when we were probably teenagers. I know when I said I was going to be a writer and a filmmaker, when my parents were justifiably so, saying, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? I'm like, well, it'll work out. When no, that's It's going to work out. <laughs> Which is funny because once I go to business school, they teach you, you, you can't get a small business off the ground without also including in your small business plan your – detractions what the marketplace is like and what happens if you fail like what makes it that you have to be prepared for that if i go in anywhere and say well we're not gonna fail like yeah okay and um two two more points and then we'll we'll close this up one uh we had talked during this episode about how um very few filmmakers will just keep the camera on a monologue and allow it to allow it just to run out in a one take. Um, or if we do get one takes, they're just kind of like showy, like, ha ha, I saw touch of evil. Let me, you know, whatever. Um, but that's why I liked seventies cinema was mm-hmm. because you would have one take monologues like this. You would have stories where things happen. There was no explanation, but here come the credits and that's it. You're, you're just stuck with it. There's no, there's no explanation. You watched it. How do you feel about it? That was exactly what do you take away from it? What is your feelings? It makes you think about it more and chew on it more as opposed to just being, well, next thing. 
Exactly. Or being so obvious and on the nose about that. Right. I, that, I, I really hate that. Like you're holding, honestly, not to go on too much, but that's kind of why I wasn't the biggest fan of Todd Phillips' Joker. Cause I felt like he held your hand too much as the film went on. I'm like, dude, I get it. Like I know what you're going yeah. for. Oh yeah. And, and here's another crazy person, but not like him, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, okay, great. Um, and then the other point I was going to say is that, I mean, I just, we, Everybody go back and look at some of Ty West movies because he is clearly a filmmaker, much like Adam Wingard. Here we go again. <laughs> um, who who's getting better and better at his craft? And and I say that, and I'm going to bring up the example of of this. After okay, so in the beginning of the movie, Pearl is seen dancing, you know, in in the in the. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. The stable? Is that what we call it? I yeah, I think it's stable. I think uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, it's a stable because I was, again, I, I just finished playing Red Dead Redemption 2 not too long ago and the horses are in the stable. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So there's there's like a cow and a goat in there and, and there's all these bales of hay that are stacked up against the other the other side of the, the stable wall. Okay. And in the beginning of the movie, she's doing her dancing thing and she goes, oh, I'm putting on shows. I put on shows for my, you know, cows and animals or whatever. And there's the bale of hay that you see behind her or the stacked up bales of hay. When she is rejected from the audition, the next scene is her not only wailing and crying at the top of her lungs for a good two or three minutes, right? But over in the distance, you can see these bales of hay that are stacked up just like in the stable, right? And it's sort of like this this visual sign to not only Pearl, but to the viewer, you know, she's not good for anything beyond just her imaginary plays in the stable, Mm -hmm. right? And just in that one visual shot, Ty West is conveying not only like her rejection and how painful it is, but gives you this visual motif of like, you're going to be stuck on this farm, girl. Like that's your fate, right? Those bales of hay... That's you 60 years from now. You're always going to be here. And so, like I said, I just, he, he's sort of masterful in some of the things that he does. Maybe he needs to hold back a little bit, right? I think that's fair. Like the advice in Showgirls, right? You know some stuff about dancing, but you got to hold some of it back in, you know? Dancing ain't fucking. Um, (laughs) Everything goes back to Showgirls, okay? Um, But, you know, I think we have a really, really great filmmaker on our hands, and I I cannot wait for more. I'm still very curious about Maxine, especially where he goes with that. And for you, Jose, I will say your homework is to see Innkeepers, because I really enjoy that one. Mine, on top of still getting to the Fear Street trilogy, which may be this October, my other one is still to see The Sacrament, because that I have not seen, and that's a divisive one, but I've heard some really good things about that one. And that's a West film I actually... I actually really, really liked it, except that it sort of fell into the trap of uh, how are we getting the shot if it's found footage? But other than that, it's actually not bad. It's, usually, it's, I'm, I, I'm usually pretty good with just accepting it, but there are times where even when I'm watching a found footage movie, it's egregious. It's funny because I'm willing to accept it 100% in Cloverfield because there's no way that camera should survive at the shit it goes through. But that also is right. because I think Cloverfield is genuinely terrifying. Um Oh, you know, there's a new one, right? Oh, oh, I've known. Oh, I've known that they were in talks of doing it. I, there, it's it's official. It's official. Baba well, it's it, yes, the which I think will be a very yeah. good choice. I've uh, I guess it was somewhat unofficial, but they were. I know Jar Barton had been saying he'd been writing it, and it's going to be a direct mm-hmm. sequel. Though I will say, as somebody who loves that movie, kind of wish we would almost do what Ten Cloverfield Lane was. I like the idea of the 
it just being what do people do in this weird sci-fi setting, kind of like a Twilight Zone. And then yeah. the, the themes could just be args because I never got into the arg for the first film that much until after the fact. And when I say I got into the arc for 10 Cloverfield Lane, it was basically just going to the subreddits and letting everyone else do the work and just being like, ooh, this yes. is fascinating. But still, I, I really like that. And I will say the first Cloverfield is generally one of the most terrifying films for me. Oh, my God. That was amazing. It made me throw up from the motion sickness. It was great. <laughs> um, but, you know, I have to I have to say, and again, we're, we're, we're straying off topic, big topic, but Cloverfield Paradox was not... I, if if it didn't have to tie into Cloverfield so badly, I, I think it would have fared better because I think as its own kind of like cheesy, almost like event horizon, what shit's going wrong. Some of it's kind of fun, but yeah, after Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield lame, which, um, I would still say is probably a better made film throughout, even though I feel like the Cloverfield connection or what makes it Cloverfield did feel a little bit too tacked on, um, and that finale, but still holy, that's another one that. John Goodman is just terrifying in that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on board well, for anything Cloverfield. <laughs> well, I guess I guess we'll just have to see when the final when the the new Cloverfield movie comes out. But for me, I don't know that I want a full explanation of the universe or how all the movies are tied. I yeah. think I want more teases and maybe mm-hmm. just you know, well, and the, maybe like like John Wick two expanding the yeah. universe. And when versus, with the Cloverfield stuff, like they explained not completely explained, but they expanded upon a lot of stuff with the Args, like to Gruto and all that. Yeah. And I think some of that fan base once set on the film. I really don't. My other, I guess, fear concern with Cloverfield two is if it was just found footage again, it's still. How do you do that? But now they're saying it's not going to be found footage, which is very unique. But part of the reason that film's so terrifying and the monster to me is so appealing um, is just because you barely ever see it. And like right. it just makes it very unique. And because if you take it without it, it is a very weirdly designed monster. But I just I, I find it so captivating and beguiling just because I rarely yeah. see the damn thing. <laughs> right, right. All right, final verdicts, yes, Justin. Yes, uh, I am. St- I'm still sticking with the watch. Um, yeah, I still think it's very much worth it. But I will say, it is. And honestly, I think after this discussion, I can safely say it's not just because it's not speaking to my exploitation sensibilities. I do think that there are little elements that are rougher here than they were in X. To say this is a little bit beneath that, but I still think it's really well done. So watch. And un- unfortunately, it's it's a skip for me, even though. I was gushing over certain moments, Mia's Mia's performance, some of the photography, corn sweats, butt, um, all of that. Um, it's still a skip. <laughs> <laughs> and while we might have said differed, I might have said watch, he might have said skip, I might be watched, and he might be skipped. That's why we decided that. But we want you to all know that we want you to listen, never skip, and that you are all the plus.